Well, it is so good to see you. Every service this morning, we had people listening from the hallways. And so I'm glad that you all got a seat and we're just, just so, this is such a great day. If you have your scriptures with you, if you would turn to Luke chapter 24, I'm going to just tell you one of the resurrection day stories. And I love this story. This is about a couple of guys on a walk on resurrection day who didn't expect to see Jesus. As a matter of fact, they never expected to see him again. Starting with verse 13, the story goes like this. And behold, two of them were going that very day to a village named Emmaus, which was about seven miles from Jerusalem. And they were conversing with each other about all these things which had taken place. Now, uh, what they're talking about is just the death and burial of Jesus Christ. That's, that's all they believe in so far. They've heard some other news, but they don't believe in it yet. And I'll tell you uh, why not in just a minute. It says, and it came about that while they were conversing and discussing, Jesus himself approached and began traveling with them. But their eyes were prevented from recognizing him. And he said to them, What are these words that you're exchanging with one another as you're walking? I, I, I love this. Jesus just goes up beside them, just joins in the conversation, kind of gives, in, in, in a modern-day dialect, simply he'd say, So what's up? And, and, and the Bible says their response was, And they stood there looking sad. Now, this is tremendously good news. And let me tell you why it's good news. You see, the best thing about our faith is that it's true whether you believe it or not. It's true way before you recognize it. The best thing about our faith is not that it, it uh, gives you hope, although it does. The best thing about our faith is not that it, it helps you live out your life practically and better. Although, if you take it seriously, it will. The best thing about our faith is not that it gives meaning to your life, although it will. The best thing about our faith is not that it makes you feel good, although it will give you great comfort. No, the best thing about our faith is that it's true no matter what, and it would be true even if no one believed in it. Now, I'll tell you why that's a good thing. Because one of the main objections to the Christian faith is that somebody made it up because we needed to believe in something like this so badly. Now, I got a book this week. You know, when you, when you teach seminary, even if it's only part-time, uh, publishing houses periodically will, will send you books. They'll put them in your mailbox at school and, and hope that you read it and like it and then recommend it to your class. So I got a book out of my mailbox and uh, Harold, you probably got this one too. It, I looked at it, and it was by Prometheus Publishers. Now, I got a, just a little suspicious uh, of a publisher's name Prometheus, uh, because for those of you who know your Greek mythology, Prometheus was, was the one in Greek mythology who thought that man and God ought to be equal. Uh, it would be, it would be in, the Christian version of that publishing house would be uh, the serpent in the Garden of Eden press, you know? It just... <laughs> You know, you just kind of get a little, well, probably not, you know, just a little suspicious. And then I read the title, and the title was Gospel 
fictions. Well, now, now I'm really, now I'm really suspicious about this thing. And and I and I opened it up and I and I I took this Evelyn Wood speed reading thing a long time ago. So I just I just read it quickly, threw it away even more quickly. But let me tell you why I did that. The theme of this book was one I've heard again and again, and that was this: that you know the gospel is a wonderful story, and it's beautiful poetry, but it's not very good history, because the desire of the writers was not so much fact but wonderful myths that they wanted to promote to, to make us feel better. Now, let me tell you just one of the many reasons why I don't believe that. Why I don't believe for a minute that Christianity is something that somebody made up just because they needed to believe it. I don't believe it. One reason is because of just the opposite reason. I know way too many people that for, were running from the idea of Jesus Christ when they ran right into him. I know way too many people didn't want to hear anything about God when God nailed them. The last person they wanted to see was Jesus Christ when he showed up. They didn't want to conjure anything up. They wanted to unconjure things. Think, for example, of the, 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 the Apostle Paul. Before he became the Apostle Paul, he was the persecutor Saul. Remember that? He was so zealous for his faith, he was out capturing Christians, dragging them off to jail, seeing them stoned. I mean, he was so zealous for his faith. Now, who would be the last person in the world he'd want to run into? Uh, that'd be Jesus, wouldn't it? Well, who did he run into? Uh, that'd be Jesus, wouldn't it? Exactly. He's uh, riding his horse on the way to the mountain, minding his own business. Boom, Jesus shows up. Now, did he want subconsciously to conjure him up? I don't think so. No. I heard a wonderful, beautiful, true story. Uh, uh, an ex, uh, I don't even know what the, exotic dancer, I guess you call him, um, was, was talking about when she was working um, at the clubs, and uh, she was um, in, in, right on toward the end of her act. Try not to visualize this too much, if you will, but <laughs> you, you know what I'm talking about. Now, who is the last person that you want to see in the audience when you're on stage with no clothes on? That'd be Jesus, wouldn't it? Yeah. Who did she see? Uh, that'd be Jesus. She, not 15 feet away from her. She said, there he was. Just, just in, in absolute radiance. And she, she said, I saw his face and he looked at me and there was not one ounce of condemnation on his face. He just said, you know, I made you for better than this. And I've got better than this for you. She walked out. She never went back to that place. But the point is this, that she wasn't trying to conjure up. She was trying not to. And there he was anyhow. He's got back from the Middle East and Africa. You know, hundreds of conversions are happening in Muslim lives in Africa. And let me tell you how they're happening. They're not happening just from the witnesses of evangelical Christians because there are tremendously strict and severe laws against witnessing in the Middle East and in Africa. It's a very Muslim-predominated country, and it's, 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 it's against the law to convert. You just can't do it. And you're under intense persecution if you try to get somebody to accept Christ. 
Now, the evangelicals still try to witness in subtle ways, but what they've begun to do is they've begun just to pray, God, somehow reveal yourself in Jesus Christ to these people so that they can know your love. You know what's happening? <laughs> these Muslims are going to sleep at night and Christ is coming to them in their dreams by the hundreds. Now, who is the last person in the world that you want to dream about if you're a Muslim? That'd be Jesus, wouldn't it? <laughs> and that's exactly who's coming to them in their dreams. You know the price that you have to pay if you accept Christ as your Lord as a Muslim? You're an outcast from society. You're an outcast from your family. You'll be persecuted for the rest of your life. But he comes in their dreams in such a compelling way that they cannot resist. You see, these and hundreds of other examples would say, no, Christianity is some, not something we wanted to conjure up. That's just something that we wanted to conjure up. It's true whether you believe it or not. It's true whether you want to see it or not. And Christ is there whether or not you've noticed him yet. He's there in your life. You see, the guys were just walking along, talking to him. Didn't know it. Didn't know it. How many of you sometimes get mad because God doesn't show up? Because God doesn't show up, you've prayed for him, and you've prayed for him to show up in a certain way, and you're pretty mad because he didn't show up. <laughs> well, I understand that. I understand that. But you've got to understand something. He did show up. He's there. People who don't think that God's around remind me of, of uh, there was one hospital I used to hate to visit in Indianapolis when I lived in Indianapolis. It was Riley, Ch Riley's Children's Hospital. It's a cancer hospital for children. And I could, I could go into any hospital, but boy, that one just tore me up. And I remember going in there sometimes and kids would have such high fevers that they would be delirious. And, and, and I would watch these mothers hold these sick children with the high fevers. And the children would be calling out for their mothers, wanting their mothers to come and help. And, and you could just sense the frustration in their voices, not realizing that all the time their mothers were holding them in her arms. And that reminds me of people who are crying out for God and frustrated because God isn't there. And all the time, the whole reason they can cry out at all is because God's got them in His arms. You see, God's there whether we recognize Him right away or not. That's a wonderful thing about our faith. That's the best thing. It's true whether you've recognized it yet or not. Now read on with me. It says, And one of them, Cleopas, answered and said to him, he starts scolding him. You know, I love this, scolding Jesus. Are you the only one um, visiting Jerusalem and unaware of the things which have happened here in these days? And he said to them, he's going along with it here. What things? I love this. The drama mounts. And they said to him, the things about Jesus the Nazarene, who was a prophet mighty in deed and word and in the sight of God and all the people. And how the chief priests and our rulers, these were a couple of Jewish guys who believed in Christ, wanted him to be the Messiah. Our rulers delivered him up to the sentence of death and crucified him. But we were hoping. There are the words of disappointment. There are the words of disappointment. We were hoping that it was he who was going to redeem Israel. And indeed, besides all this, it's the third day since these things happened. 
But also some women among us amazed us when they were at the tomb early in the morning and did not find his body. And they came saying that they had also seen a vision of angels. But who said that he was, I'm sorry, the angels who said that he was alive. And some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just exactly as the woman, women had said, but he himself they did not see. Now, I want you to get the picture here. They've heard the report of the resurrection, but they couldn't allow themselves to believe it. These are people who want Jesus to be the Messiah. They've heard the report that would give him that status, and they can't let themselves believe it. Why not? What's well, because of that word I just told you about, and it's because of what so many of us have. It's what I call a hermeneutic of disappointment. Hermeneutic is simply a, a fancy theological word that means the way we interpret things. In other words, how many people here have been hurt so often in their lives that they can't let themselves believe anything good anymore because they're afraid of getting hurt again? That's where these folks were. And so even when there was good news, they couldn't allow themselves to have hope. There are so many people in this world that are exactly like that. You know what? You were always like that. When you were little kids, you thought everything was a wonder. You saw a miracle in everything. We all started out like that. I remember hearing the story of a little girl who took her face, first train ride with her, with her mom. And, and she, she, got to, she got to be near the window. Mom put her by the window. And everything that little girl saw out that window, she go, oh, look, mom, a cow. You see the cow? Yeah, see the cow. A dog, you see the dog, man, there's a dog. Yeah, I see the dog. A barn, you see the barn. Yeah, I see the barn. And after about a half hour of this, the mother turns apologetically to the fellow passengers and says, I I I'm sorry. She's still at that age where she thinks everything is wonderful. And I'm thinking to myself when I heard that story, why would anybody apologize for that? We ought to be apologizing that we ever got out of that age. You see, we're the disappointed. We're the ones that are going to steel ourselves against the good news because we don't want to be disappointed again. And we're the ones, because of that, who will believe that God's not really out there because we don't want to be disappointed. But what happens when you begin to believe that? You begin to look at the whole world like it's garbage and you just want to get out. I tell you what happens when you, when you start thinking like that. You want to catch a ride on a spaceship in a comet somewhere. That's what happens. You're so disappointed. Everything's all garbage and you just want to escape. Or maybe it's not a spaceship. Maybe you're a little bit more conventional about it and you just want to drink a lot. Or you want to take drugs. Or you want to be entertained all the time. Or you want a lot of money to dull the pain. Whatever the form of escape is, when you think that God's not out there, when you think there's just garbage out there, you just want to get out. But the fact is, God is out there. This is my Father's world. This is our Father's world. And He's there whether we recognize Him or not. There is that in you I know. There is that that wants messages of hope. 
There is that in the nation that wants messages of hope. Why do you think the fastest growing TV show in popularity right now is Touched by an Angel? Yeah, I, I mean, I understand that sloppy theology, but I don't expect meat on prime time. Milk, if, if milk is all there is, milk's better than nothing. It's good. It, it reminds us that God is much more present than we had first thought. And people want to believe that. They just can't allow themselves yet. It's going to take a little bit more coaxing from Jesus, which is exactly what he does. Read the rest of this story with me. It says in verse 25, And he said to them, O foolish men, and slow of heart to believe in all that the prophets have spoken, was it not necessary for the Christ to suffer these things and to enter into his glory? Now, right there, Jesus hits on a very prime aspect of understanding that God is in all things. Most people believe that God is only in happy things. That God only shows up when there are solutions. That God is only there when everything's going right. God bless me. Watch this. Jesus said, God's in the suffering things too. God's in the hurts too. There's a purpose even there. And the Bible says, And beginning with Moses and with all the prophets, he explained to them the things concerning himself in all the scriptures. In other words, he took every event of life and showed how that event pointed toward him. Would you like him to do that for you? Read on with me. It says, And they approached the village where they were going, and he acted as though he would go farther. And they urged him, saying, Stay with us. Stay with us. Let me just take a chance here. I know that on Easter we have a lot, of, a lot more people than, than ordinary. And I know that there's a portion of people who are here because they want to make their mom happy. And, and, and there's nothing wrong with making your mom happy. Or your wife or your dad or, or anybody. You know, any of those are okay. But if you want the kind of insight that's talking about here, that we're talking about, if you would like to understand how every event in life, every aspect of life points to Christ, we're going to be talking about that in the next several months here. And let me just urge you to do something. Don't let us go on without you. Don't let us go on without you. You need to keep hearing from Jesus. You need to have Him ex open the Scriptures to you. And, and I can't reveal Christ to you, but I can tell you where to look. And so if you stick with us, if you don't let us go on without you for a while, then you'll know where to look and how to look. All right, now read on with me. It says, Stay with us, for it is getting toward evening, and the day is now nearly over. And he went in to stay with them. And it came about that when he had reclined at the table with them, he took bread and blessed it. Breaking it, he began giving it to them. And their eyes were opened, and they recognized him. Now watch this. To add to the mystery of the whole thing, it says, And he vanished from them. So he just disappears physically. Now look at their response. I love this. And they said to one another, Were not our hearts burning within us while he was speaking to us on the road, 
while he was explaining the scriptures to us? In other words, I knew it all along. I knew that. Did you not know it was Jesus? I knew it was Jesus because inside of me, I just knew it was Jesus. When God reveals something to you, don't, I mean, isn't that your friend? I knew something was up. I was a, this is not a complete surprise to me. Do you feel right now like God is, is kind of in your life? You just haven't located him yet. Well, that's God getting you ready. Because when he revealed it, you're going to say, oh, I knew it all along. He was in it all the time. It's just a great response. And then it says, when they arose that very hour and returned to Jerusalem and found um, gathered together the eleven, those who were with them, saying, The Lord has really risen, like they didn't know it, and has appeared to Simon, and they began to relate their experiences on the road and how he was recognized by them in the breaking of the bread. Let me tell you just a wonderful goal for all of us here. A wonderful goal would be able to relate all of our experiences on the road, so to speak, and understand that Jesus was with us in all of those things. A wonderful goal would be to forsake the hermeneutic of disappointment and take up the hermeneutic of hope and examination, looking for Jesus in everyday life. Now, I realize even believers kind of get caught up in this not looking anymore, not looking any further. I do. Good Friday, two days ago, went down to Sebring to do a community service. Now, periodically, I like to do these things. I like it when little communities come together because I think it's cool. I, I came from a little town, uh, and many of you know, uh, just a little burg, and a the biggest thing we had was the grain elevator. But every once in a while, we had a parade, a town parade. Now, that was a sight. A town parade in Shelby, Ohio. Well, but you know, we had crate, you know, crate paper on bicycles and dogs following along. It was just not a big deal. But it was cool because the community did something together, you know? We marched out to the cemetery on Memorial Day. It was, it was just kind of a cool thing. So when, when, when communities try to do stuff together, I, I kind of like going. It's kind of like going home. And the second reason I go is because people tell me, you, you got to get out of the church into the real world, you know? And I never quite figured it out because... I'm not sure that this isn't the real world. In my opinion, whatever lasts the longest is the most real. And this is going to last the longest. But I understand what they're saying. That is. So I understand what they're saying. And I need to get out of, uh, you know, into different realms of life. And so that's cool. So I just want to go. On. So here, here's this community service put on by the Kiwanis Club. Now, I don't know what the Kiwanis Club is. I, do, I don't think it's specifically a Christian, you know, tell the gospel organization. And so I'm thinking to myself, okay. Going to a community thing, they, they might be the folks that say, you know, I, I really wish you wouldn't mention Jesus at the end of the prayers because that leaves some people out and we don't want to do that. And so I'm, I'm thinking to myself on the way down there, how can I work the gospel in here? Because I, I that's my main purpose in life. I want to work the gospel in there because it's great news. And I'm assuming, you know, that, that that's going to be a real hard job. Well, I get down there. This thing's going on. The first guy on the program gets up. He's the sheriff. The sheriff comes, and he's the opening prayer. Sheriff comes lumbering. You know, he's like a big old, I, I thought he was the football coach when he walked in, because he's a big old bear of a guy, you know? He walks up the microphone, and he shouts, bow your heads. Everybody goes like You know, it's a sheriff, you know, bow your heads. Everybody goes, you know. It's just real intimidating kind of guy. So he goes, bow your heads. And so everybody bows their heads. He launches into this prayer 
That was the most beautiful explanation of the gospel I've ever heard in my life. I mean, I mean, including preachers. He just said, oh, and he just was, he was real tenderhearted. Oh, Jesus, thank you that you would come down and die on the cross to pay for our sins. Lord, we couldn't pay for our sins on our own. We never could have done it. But you shed your blood and your blood washes us clean and we're forgiven and we can live every day new and we have the promise of eternal. I mean, he launches into this thing. It's about five minutes long. I'm sitting there thinking, what am I here for? I don't get my role here. It was just marvelous. And then they had kind of the area entertainer, you know, the, the gal that everybody calls to come and do the little songs. Every, and she got up and sang two wonderful songs about Jesus, very clearly presenting the gospel. Then they had an area businessman get up. And this guy gave his testimony, and it was phenomenal. And it wasn't one of these neat little, uh, had problems in my life, met Jesus, now I'm perfect. It wasn't one of those nice little bow tie things. It was a struggle. I mean, this guy left his family and, and, and crushed them and, and went out searching and, of course, ran into God, running away from God, ran into God, just another story like that, realized what he'd done, was crushed by what he'd done, went back. In the meantime, he'd, he'd left them for quite a while. They'd built life without him. They'd gone on and built life without him. And so now, after years, he's working his way back into the lives of his family. And he said, only by the grace of God did I realize what I was doing, and only by the grace of God will their hearts open up to me, and only by the grace of God can I ever love them like I've been loved. And, and so pray for me. I'm not there yet. Pray for me. I'm thinking, this is so great. <laughs> and it's my turn to talk. I'm going to go, I get up and go, I hear my little, you know, do my little speech. And then I sit down, and then a circuit court judge gets up. He tells, he prays the, 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 the resurrection. And it was just wonderful theology. And then the editor of the newspaper gets up. And he says, you heard what Dr. Hunter said. You heard what the rest of these guys said. Go out and tell somebody this is good news about Jesus Christ. You've got to tell somebody about Jesus today. And I'm thinking, I'm in the middle of a Kiwanis revival. What is this? What is the deal here? I'm thinking about how can I work the gospel in? What kind of arrogance is that? I got all ashamed, like, like uh, I'm the guy bringing the light to the community. <laughs> what is that? I mean, Jesus was down there saying, glad you made it, Hunter. <laughs> You're not necessary, but nice to see you. <laughs> you see how we get, we get this hermeneutic of disappointment where we think he's really not out. He's out there. He's out there. And we got to just understand that. And when you understand that, Something great is going to happen. Let me tell you what it is. You're going to quit trying to escape so badly. I mean, even if you're a Christian, you know the Christian form of escape? Let's talk about the last days. Maybe he'll come back. Now, now, listen to me. Hear me right. Hear me right. Uh, Jesus is coming back. And, and, and we all look forward to it. But there's something about this desperate need to have him back right now that kind of betrays something. And let me tell you what it is. Somebody wrote me, by the way, a couple of weeks ago and said, why don't you ever talk about the last days? You got to talk about the last days. So I wrote him a, a theological response. This is dumb. He wasn't asking theology, but I, well, there are many versions of the last days. And, I wrote, and then after I sent the letter, I go, that was stupid. 
And I, but I started thinking, why don't I ever talk about it? Why don't I often talk? I have, talked, I have preached on the last days, but what, what, why don't I often talk about Jesus coming again? And I, I came to the conclusion that it's literally because I am, I am of the same ilk as a Presbyterian minister I heard, I think his name was William Merrill, I think it was in New York, several decades ago. Somebody asked him, why don't you ever talk about Jesus coming again? And his response literally was, uh... I wasn't aware that he'd been away. I like that. I like that. And that's that. See, if you see God in every event of life, you'll be glad when he comes back physically, but you won't miss him in between times because you understand he's here. And there's a whole different aura about you when you do that. You become much more winsome. You, you become like the little girl said. I'll just I'll say this and quit. Like the little girl who was quoting scripture. And she stood up to say the words of Jesus. And she got it kind of wrong, but a lot right. She said, Glow, I am with you always. <laughs> I like that. Pray with me. God, thank you that the resurrection is not just history. It is present fact. And it's not just a fact. You're a person with us now. Thank you, Lord God, that you are more true than our need. That you weren't conjured up by our need, but you conjured up our need so that we could recognize how much you love us and how in your grace you are already here. Lord, if there's anybody here tonight who's still just trying to do it on their own, and they're trying to make up for their own sins so someday they might be able to see you. Lord, would you just go to them right now and say, you know, there's a lot better way. As a matter of fact, that way won't work at all, but this way will. I've already taken care of your sins. And you don't have to pay for them. I've paid for them. And you don't have to wait to see me in the future. You can see me right now. Lord, that's what we would ask of you. Every day, open our eyes to where you are in our present world so that we can praise you and love you all the more. We pray in your sweet, powerful resurrection love, dear Jesus. Amen.